Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley is presented by Domino's Hawaii, now promising contactless delivery to assure that your pizza is delivered safely to your door. Domino's Hawaii wants to thank its entire team for their efforts in staying safe, keeping sanitized, and working hard to serve our neighbors during these trying times. And a special thanks to you, the customers, for your continued trust. As a locally owned company, Domino's Hawaii knows there are people seeking work, and it is hiring as many in our community as possible right now. We're all in this together, so take care out there, and let's look forward to the next big sporting event where we can all gather and celebrate as one. All right, let's talk sports. What's up, Jordan? Hey, let's get things warmed up here. Our pregame question. I saw this on Twitter and it got me thinking, uh, who is on your pro wrestling Mount Rushmore? Give me four pro wrestlers all time on your personal Jordan Helly Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I'm just going to blaze through them quick. I got Triple H, Prowess, uh, Ric Flair. Got to have him on there. Uh, The Undertaker for some long jet. That was not bad. The Undertaker. um, Didn't need to say much. You knew. You just knew. And then uh, my fourth, I'm going to go Vince McMahon. I feel like he's got to be up there. I feel like he's got to be up there, right? Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be a wrestler, not that he hasn't inserted himself <laughs> into the storyline many a time. Uh, but I'm going to go Vince McMahon. Uh, honorable mention, Hawaii uh, wing of the, of the Mount Rushmore, uh, Gentleman Ed Francis. Oh, yeah. I mean, we could actually do a whole Mount Rushmore. We could, yeah. On the old Hawaii days of pro wrestling. Um, yeah, okay. I got four wrestlers, and my favorite part of the whole wrestling game is the, the promos, the talking. Like, for me, the wrestling matches themselves are almost like the musical numbers in Disney cartoons, whereas, like, I kind of want to just get back to the storyline. Is that cool? Um, but The Rock was the best, right? Dwayne Johnson uh, to me was was just he had the greatest set of microphone skills uh, maybe the guy who was the most well-rounded was Stone Cold Steve Austin because he was great on the mic he could pump up the crowd he's he's uh, cranking beers he's uh, you know putting on a show in the ring he was just awesome still is actually pretty awesome when you follow him on Twitter and whatnot uh, and then you got to go to the legend maybe the goat Hulk Hogan right I mean nobody got uh, as mainstream as Hulk Hogan did back in the day. And then, I don't know, this would probably be one of my personal picks, but just because he was such a freak of nature, uh, Andre the Giant would be on my pro wrestling Mount Rushmore. Those are my four. He, he could be the mountain, right? <laughs> That's right. His, his bust would be actual size. I think that would be the, yeah. the novelty there. Um, yeah, very good. All right, we warm things up. Let's get to the game time. Uh, we're very excited about the show here today. Uh, because we're going to be talking with Kurt Suzuki, veteran of Major League Baseball, Baldwin grad, won a College World Series at Cal State Fullerton, uh, and he's just been doing his thing, racking up numbers for now 14 seasons, what will be his 14th season here uh, when they start things up uh, in just a little bit, and we'll talk to him about his reaction to all of that, some new rules being inserted here for this season, and, you know, he'll take some time to reflect on his Uh, longevity in his career he had some really really interesting things to say so we're excited about playing that for you uh but yeah our first game time topic jordan play ball major league baseball and the players union finally coming to terms on a 60 
games scheduled that will be starting in July. Players will report to camp at the beginning of that month. Presence of fans in certain cities still being determined. Uh, but you have new applied rules that will include a DH in the National League, a runner placed at second base to start extra innings. Are you looking forward to playing some ball? I am. I am. Um, you know, maybe a little muted excitement just because of the tumultuous path it took just to get here. <laughs> right. It didn't need to be this complicated, I think. But uh, here we are. I think it's turned some people off. But once they start playing games, people are going to tune in. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I'm, I'm excited. Right. We're still uh, about a month away. Right. And if they're going to start a, a target date of July 24th, I think there's some some things to be figured out. We we, we get into it a little bit with Kurt as well when we uh, talk about figuring out what the in-game or game day experience is going to look like uh, in home stadiums who maybe or may not be in the stands uh, if they allow fans or anything in like that. I think it's fascinating because it's going to be a sprint, right? This is not anything near what the marathon is of the usual 162-game schedule. So who does that favor? I don't know. Maybe the younger teams Maybe the teams that are less likely to get hurt because, hey, if you get a, you know, a two-week hamstring or something like that, that's a pretty big chunk of the season. Heck, if somebody tests positive for the virus and has to sit, sit out for 14 days, that's a pretty big chunk of the season too. And how, how widespread is that? So, you know, we're already seeing some, some reports out of some teams, right, whether it's personnel, some all-stars as well you know, that, that, that could be impacted. So it, it, I, I, I don't know how we're going to look at it historically as to how this season plays out, how we stack it up against a normal season, a normal World Series champion or something like that. But it is kind of a fascinating experience, shorter season, very college-like. Uh, and then some of the rules, right, whether it comes down to uh, the universal DH. It's kind of funny. I'm kind of a purist, kind of like Kurt is. I like it, but you can't argue that it's probably bet more entertaining baseball for fans. I think, you know, like the Nationals last year, right? They won all four games in the American League Park. I think back to my Cubs in 2016, won three of the four games in their World Series title in the American League Park with a designated hitter. So it's like, eh, it's kind of hard to argue against that. Uh, the runner on second deal to start extra innings, eh, that's kind of how I feel about that one. Are we just going to get a sacrifice bunt, then an intentional walk? It's going to be first and third, one out, and we just play it from there? I don't know. Um, I kind of almost rather just see ties after 11 innings in the regular season. Like, let's, let's just move on. Yeah, or maybe you wait a couple of extra innings. Maybe in the 12th, you start putting players at second base or something like that. But, you know, I can understand this is they want to make haste here this season. They want to get through it as fast as possible, and they want to get through these games as quickly as possible for a number of different determining factors. I'm not sure how I feel. I'm a little lukewarm on some of the rule changes, although I do agree that if you are going to experiment, this is the season to do it. And you know I've been much more of a proponent about a universal designated hitter because I don't feel like anybody's buying a ticket to watch the pitchers hit, Uh, even though the novelty, uh, as you'll hear from Kurt and some other people, uh, the novelty is something they feel is more associated with the game, the difference in the American League and the National League. Uh, But yeah, the 60-game schedule is interesting because, hey, look, we're going to talk to Kurt Suzuki. And the Nationals threw 50 games last year were 12 games below 500. So if these were the rules, if this was the the makeup uh, and the composition of the schedule last year, they would have had no chance. And yet they went on to turn it around and went on a run to win the World Series championship. And so they will be afforded no such a luxury this year. And you wonder maybe if the, the fact that they are the team coming off of the title, that maybe they'll have a bit of an advantage just 
psychologically here heading into what is more of a sprint. But that said, the layoff was so long. Uh, can you even assume that anybody is going to be a beneficiary of momentum? It just doesn't necessarily seem like that is going to realistically apply. But uh, we'll hear from Kurt uh, in just a little bit. But we move on. No news is good news. That was uh, one of the tweets I saw in response to an FBI and NASCAR investigation determining that the rope initially identified that had been fashioned into something of a noose was placed in the garage that housed the Bubba Wallace car, was placed in that garage since October of last year and was actually used as a door pulley. Uh, It was really interesting. In the aftermath of that announcement, uh, certain people like Will Kane seemed to be taking a very strange sort of victory lap as if to say the NASCAR really botched this thing up. And, you know, this kind of false information serves as an impediment to the racial discourse that we are now having and seeing uh, taking place here across the country. Uh, Then today, NASCAR released a photo of the noose. And yeah, it's a noose. Like, unmistakably, it is a noose. And whether you're using it as a door pulley or not, to fashion it in that way is questionable. We know that it wasn't necessarily done because of Bubba Wallace, but it was put there for some reason. And that, I think, still, uh, I think, can carry some, some lingering questions. But how do you reconcile the way this story has played out and what some of the reaction to it has been? Will, Will Kane, to me, uh, was a guy who represented, again, that very strange kind of victory lap that was being uh, taken. And I'm not exactly sure what that victory lap is representing because it's not as though anybody was, you know, individually falsely accused of putting that noose there. Uh, a worst case scenario is what we got this past weekend where you had all of the drivers standing alongside and behind Bubba Wallace and pushing his car and, and that moment, that beautiful moment, uh, I don't think that it is that negatively impacted or in any way negated because of what the determination of the FBI was. I think you can still accept that as being a really wonderful thing in terms of its symbolism. And that's not to say that all of the protests we saw outside of the track with people carrying and waving Confederate flags and the banner with the Confederate flag flying over that said defund NASCAR, those are still things that can be called out. It's just weird that there are some people who are suggesting that NASCAR really botched this thing up by how seriously they took that initial allegation. Yeah, I, I don't understand it, right? Because the, the argument seems to be it is giving fodder to those who are skeptical of all of this, right? It, it's like, I don't think those people on the fringes that are, that are going to be calling this a hoax or fake or anything like that are, are, are really interested in, in actual dialogue and actual growth and actual progress. Um, and, and I think what we saw from the drivers, what we saw from NASCAR was terrific. Uh, because the, the other thing about it was, yeah, it, it wasn't like they made this up. Like the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation called it a noose. NASCAR today released photos of the noose. It is a noose. And we all know the symbolism behind that thing. And even if it wasn't put there on purpose or directed at Bubba Wallace, even if it wasn't in direct uh, response to NASCAR banning the Confederate flag officially, even if it wasn't in response to any of the current movements going on or any of the sentiment to reform police or anything like that, it was still put there. They decided to fashion the knot in the form of a noose. Like there are plenty of other knots and I'm no expert on knot tying. I haven't been a, a, a sailor or a boy scout, but that seems like a pretty difficult thing to tie. Like, I, I can think of so many other ways to tie something, tie a piece of rope, and that's the other thing. They investigated every other track that NASCAR holds events at. They investigated every other garage 
at Talladega. That's the only one. They only found one noose. So this isn't some normal practice. People don't just tie garage police in that way. Like, that's not what normally happens. And so the, fa- the fact is, somebody decided to tie that noose. And we know the glaring, blatant, very obvious symbolism that is associated with a noose hanging from anywhere. And so the, the, there still is something problematic there, even if it isn't directly directed at the lone African-American driver on, on the circuit. Yeah, I think it's, it's a distraction to what is the greater conversation, certainly as it pertains to NASCAR, where NASCAR created kind of a safe haven, a safe space for people that had this ideology that came from this kind of thinking. And I think it's made even more emphasized because it was there in the garage since October which means that it was just kind of a regular part of the atmosphere and environment at this specific track. To me, it almost further justifies the reaction because this is something that has been part of NASCAR's history. All right, moving on. The UH men's basketball team releases its non-conference schedule for the upcoming season. Fingers crossed, but the schedule is set to open November 11th versus Washington State. Uh, that's going to be an interesting matchup. You have Iran Ganat, head coach for UH, and Washington State head coach Kyle Smith. They both were previous assistants at St. Mary's. Uh, Hawaii will also host North Carolina on November 20th as the Tar Heels get ready to uh, stop over on Oahu en route to the Maui Jim Maui Invitational. Uh, Hawaii will then travel to play Santa Clara on December 2nd. And then you got the Diamond Head Classic, right, annually. This year it features Arizona State, Oklahoma, St. Mary's, the aforementioned program, San Diego State, among others. Uh, so what do you think about the layout of the UH schedule and what are the highlights that stand out to you? Man, it's a great, great schedule, right, especially the home docket. Um, I hope people can attend. Like, I really hope that they can get some atmospheres because, I mean, you bring North Carolina to town. Um, a diamond head classic with potential matchups against power five opponents, right? Oklahoma is sort of a regular that comes down. It seems like uh, to the diamond head uh, Arizona state, but you throw in St. Mary's San Diego state. I love the Santa Clara road trip. I would love to see the university of Hawaii continue to incorporate some of these uh, West coast conference teams into some, some nice, easy, if you will, quote unquote, uh, road trips, right? You don't have to go very far. Direct flight against quality competition, one of the best mid-major conferences in the country. I really like the makeup of it. And obviously, when you include guaranteed games at home against North Carolina, against Washington State, um, that's big time. It really is. Uh, and, and I like what Aran Ganat has done with the schedule because I'm very much of the belief, like, look, you're, you're not playing your way into an at-large bid out of the Big West unless the league itself elevates uh, and not just the University of Hawaii. So why not go schedule some big guns, right? Why not go schedule some tough teams, uh, even if maybe you won't get the the sexy record out of playing a cupcake schedule or something like that. So it, it's terrific. I hope fans can enjoy it from the Stan Sheriff Center with these teams. Um, obviously, I hope we have a basketball season. Yeah, and you have the expansion of the Big West Conference, right, with Bakersfield and UCSD coming in, expanding the number of games being played in the regular season. And so you're actually dealing with a a smaller amount of games with which to toy putting together your non-conference composition. And so to have, I think, uh, the brand names or at least teams from brand name conferences on this schedule uh, and credit has to go to the director of ops at UH, Jesse Nakanishi, uh, former Kamehameha head basketball coach and associate coach at HPU, uh, because he's the guy that's sort of the, the point leader on putting the schedule together. And I, I do think that it reflects very well on where the program is and where the program wants to go. 
Uh, North Carolina coming to town. I mean, kudos to Roy Williams and that team for they stopped over on Oahu the last time they were in the field at the Maui Invitational. Uh, and that seems to be something that would you would imagine would be so easy for other teams to also follow, right? I mean, just gives them an extra game on the road, maybe a tune-up game for the Maui Invitational. Uh, I think that that's something that I'm surprised other teams don't take advantage of. It certainly is great for the University of Hawaii. It certainly is great for the fans. I think it's a wonderful thing. And this year's North Carolina team, look out, man. Tar Heels are looking to come back. They have five recruits that were on the ESPN Top 100 list, including a couple of five-star guys. Uh, So North Carolina's coming. Uh, So that's something to really look forward to. Yeah, I think uh, Hawaii's been a little too successful at playing some of these teams in those stopover games where, right, when they beat Pitt here on Maui, when they beat Michigan State back in the day. It's kind of like when uh, the Big Ten teams used to come down late in the season to play June Jones football teams uh, and would lose and then would never come back. It's <laughs> like, well, okay, I guess, you know, would have ruined the party. All right. Uh, Speaking of UH football, Cole McDonald inks his multi-year deal with the Tennessee Titans. Now, the terms haven't been publicized, uh, but everyone is estimating, based on the CBA, minimum base salary of a little over $600,000 for a rookie uh, this season. Uh, Estimated signing bonus in the range where he was drafted in the seventh round, about uh, $100,000 or so. Uh, But we were scratching our heads during the draft coverage because ESPN actually stated as one of their itemized bio facts about Cole McDonald that his nickname was C-Money, which we had never heard before. And even Nick Rolovich, who was on this podcast not that long ago, uh, he said that he never heard Cole McDonald referred to in that way. Uh, And so we were wondering, C-Money, is that cool for you? Do you like that nickname? If not, do you have any alternatives for a new nickname for Cole McDonald? It's okay. It's okay, right? He was known as China here in the islands during his time here related to some some pass route combinations that, uh, you know, he, he picked up on, uh, you know, Rolo told us he's going to call him Cole now because it's kind of the, the maturation of Cole McDonald, which, uh, which I think is commendable, but also, you know, boring for us fans. If we, we can't just call him Cole now. Uh, so I, I, I've always uh, kind of referred to him as C-Mac, even though that's, that's a moniker taken by, by folks here locally in the sports media industry and, and elsewhere, but it's, it's simple and it's uh, and it's quick. Uh, I like Throw McDonald uh, as a nickname, uh, and uh, those were the the two that I came up with. And then one that uh, my buddies over on the Big Island would call them. They called them Ocean. Uh, you know the uh, the artist uh, from Papua New Guinea oh and, and local music, um, tropically fine among many other uh, hits. Uh, check him out if you haven't. Just a quick little YouTube search uh, because yeah. when he had the dreads, the dude looked just like Ocean. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely spot on with that. Uh, That is a really great comparison. Ocean was like the hottest guy here locally for a long time, right? You heard him in all the clubs and whatnot. So uh, yeah, a call back to O-S-H-E-N, Ocean. Uh, Just classic stuff. A couple of nicknames I came up with, Cole McDalla. You know, I mean, he's making a little bit of of coin right now. Uh, Instead of C-Money, how about C-Note? He's going to have a few of those in his pocket now. His last name is McDonald, man. How about the franchise? Like McDonald's. The franchise, I know it's been taken a few times. Uh, and then this one, Cole McDonald had a farm on a lot for which he was able to make a down payment with the money from his first NFL contract. <laughs> Too wordy or what? Maybe a little bit. Maybe, maybe a, little. a little bit. Well, if he invests, maybe there's some farmland available outside of Nashville. I don't know. Yeah. By the way, pour out a little liquor uh, in um, memorial of Cole McDonald looking like ocean because the dreads are now gone. That's yeah, he, had to, he shaved him off. So Yeah. So it sad. doesn't work anymore. He, he gave in to the man. 
Time now for our Domino's Hawaii main topping, uh, and it is our interview with Kurt Suzuki, Washington Nationals catcher, defending World Series champ. Uh, he has an all-star selection in his career, uh, heading into his 14th season in the major leagues, of course, part of this 60-game regular season that has finally been agreed upon by the Players Association and the owners in Major League Baseball. So let's get right to that and play that interview with Kurt. All right, well, Kurt, here's the good news. You're going to get an opportunity to defend your World Series title, even though it will be a shortened season. What do you think about that? It's awesome. It's finally, you know, finally happening. I mean, we've been waiting for this for how long now, but uh, to be able to finally kind of get back to normal and, and kind of get like a normal feeling going again, playing sports and all this stuff, uh, this is what I love to do. And this is what I've been doing, you know, my whole career and just going out there and playing baseball. So for it to, to have happened and not be able to do anything when I was supposed to be playing baseball, it was a weird feeling. So to be able to get back on the field, see my teammates again and, and really kind of get our rings and do it the right way is a pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to say, that's something you definitely can look forward to. I mean, that is a rite of passage for all champions, is having that ring ceremony. And it may look and feel a little different from other years, but uh, you guys are going to at least be able to do that. How excited are you for that? Oh, I'm excited. I mean, yeah, it's not going to be as fun because the fans aren't there. You know, we can't celebrate with our fans, who's, like, uh, really important for us, you know, and we love to celebrate with the fans. But to have us as a team together – uh, getting our rings, uh, whether it's like a private, you know, in the clubhouse thing, or it's just us teammates, which, you know, is cool too, as long as we're all together. And, you know, we earned this championship together to be able to get our rings together is awesome. Yeah, Kurt, what, what was your confidence level that, uh, that a deal was going to be struck or, or that you guys would actually get back to playing baseball? It seemed pretty bleak at some points. You know, I wasn't too confident to tell you the truth. I was kind of nervous. Like, I don't know if this, nobody's budging, nobody's really blinking. Uh, everybody's holding the ground but you know at the end of the day I think we wanted to make things work and you know with the pandemic going on um, you know and things like that we we really really felt the need to get out there and I think you know both sides you know just said you know just implement a schedule like was in the contract and we'll go out and play you know just tell us when we have to play and we're going to go out and play so I think at the end of the day that was the most important part was getting out there to be able to watch a live sporting event on TV again. Yeah, yeah from the fan standpoint, we're, we're happy. That is for sure. Uh, how involved or what kind of conversations took place uh, amongst your guys? I mean, obviously you're not in the clubhouse, but I imagine some tech streams or something like that going around. Uh, what was the conversation amongst the, the Nationals team? Yeah, you know, we, we had a, a good group conversations, uh, a way to kind of keep, keep in touch as well, you know, keep kind of the camaraderie going together. But um, yeah, you know, we talked a lot and, uh, discuss different scenarios that that may happen um, you know in, in the case how how would we respond and things like that and, and um, you know it's just a matter of I mean listen it's a pandemic we understand you know the whole implications that are going around the country but at the same time we felt a need to stick up for ourselves and say hey this is what we want this is what we deserve and we were gonna hold true to that and I think as a collective team, team, which I mean, the whole players association, we really felt that, that togetherness, like we're going to fight for this and we deserve this and we, we really should stick together and, and go for it. Yeah, it seemed as though the owners at some stages along the way through this uh, labor dispute were sort of counting on the 
possibility of there being division or divisiveness among the players, almost like a divide and conquer type of tactic so that they could sway things more towards what they desired. Uh, but it seemed uh, really undeniable the unity that the players seemed to hold. And you saw it in the hashtag when and where, and it just seemed as though you guys were about as solid as you have been collectively in these types of situations that we have seen. How was that accomplished? Was that just a communication thing or, or how did that, how did you get there? Yeah, it was definitely a communication thing, but you know, like you said, we felt as players, we felt attacked as one of the goals, if not the main goal was for the owners to separate the players and to pit players against each other and, and to kind of break up the union because I mean, let's be honest, as, as an owner, you don't want a player's union because that weakens the bargaining thing for the players. And as owners, you want to put a good product on the field, but you don't want to spend the money. It's a business thing. And we understand that as players. But at the same time, we understand that sticking together as a union, we feel as arguably the best union that's out there in all of professional sports. And, and the reason why we did have that was because the past players that sacrificed and went on work stoppages and labor disputes before us, we were able to reap the benefits of what they sacrificed. And for us players to, to only benefit from it and then not worry about the future that's coming up, we felt that was wrong. And so we said we need to really stick up for us because we're benefiting from the past players. So we need to make sure we stick up for the future of the sport and the players and that's where we ultimately came to the decision was it's a no-brainer. These guys sacrificed for us, so we don't want to be the selfish ones and just rip the benefits. But we want to provide uh, some security for the, the future of the game, which, you know, in our minds, it, you know, when you're talking about the future, these young kids that are coming up, they need to be able to reap the benefits of that as well. Yeah, I mean, it creates and makes quite a statement, certainly with the CBA negotiations uh, coming up just around the corner. So uh, you guys sort of establishing this solidarity certainly can impact that. Let's get now to the fact that, all right, the season is agreed upon. We're going to be playing ball, hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, but this was all introduced. This whole issue was introduced because <clears throat> of the pandemic. How much of a concern is that in your mind as it stands, the coronavirus and just all of the safety precautions that are going to be taking place and necessary? I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely um, myself being a player that has a family, has kids. Um, you know, it's definitely something that weighs heavily on your mind. I mean, you know, you hear all these stories or reports of people, you know, getting sick and, and dying, you know, and it, it's, it's not something to, to kind of brush off. But at the same time, we understand that listen, you can't hide forever. You know, this, this virus is going to be here forever. You're going to have to face it at some time. Um, but at the same time, you got to be smart. You got to social distance. You got to follow the rules, wear the mask, hand sanitizer, and all this kind of stuff. You, you can't be irresponsible. And we understand that as players that, you know, there's a lot to ask from us to go out there and perform. But at the same time, we feel that we can achieve that and give the world or the country some positive light in returning back to normalcy with, with everything that's going on right now. And I think, um, you know, there is going to be risk. And you know what? To tell you the truth, there are probably going to be a lot of players that get sick. But at the same time, that's the risk that we take. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to stick with receiving the contract situation that we did is we're out there, um, I guess, taking on that risk. And we're out there every single day taking on that risk of possibly getting sick, our families getting sick, 
So we deserve that we should be paid rightfully for, you know, going out there as well. So I think it's a real concern, but uh, at the end of the day, we're willing to, to take on that risk. Yeah. Well, what kind of um, information or communication has uh, been passed on to you guys, whether by the union or, you know, the organization as to what, so it should somebody test positive uh, while you guys are back playing. And, and once you guys get back in the facility, uh, which I, I understand is pretty soon, uh, even for uh, spring training, if you'll call it. But uh, what, what's been told to you guys should that scenario take place? Well, the normal quarantine, you know, the whole quarantine situation, you know, you test positive, you got to quarantine. Uh, they do the contact tracing, like who you've been in contact with. Um, I guess you get tested more frequently, maybe like every day, whereas now we're like every other day for now, but every day you get tested to see you know, when you test negative and you, you have to test negative for 48 hours, you have to do multiple tests of negative to be able to return back to work. But um, other than that, unless you're symptomatic and you need to go to the hospital, then you're basically in quarantine, like how, you know, the rules are now for, for any other person. I think, you know, we don't get really any special treatment besides maybe getting more tests, but I mean, there's nothing really you can do. You can quarantine and, and try to contact trace who you come in contact with, but you got to kind of just just stay away for a little bit until you test negative and come back. Gotcha. Did you did you put any thoughts or did you have any preference? Uh, you know, the baseball model seems to be, hey, we're going to play in home ballparks as much as possible versus, uh, you know, trying to isolate in a bubble, which had been talked about early on, which is seemingly what the NBA is adopting here. Yeah, you know, I, I've kind of wrestled with the fact of the bubble. I, I kind of like that idea at first, um, just because you're keeping every, everybody in one thing. And if you want to have the season, um, you might have to sacrifice that, right? You got to stay in the bubble and all that stuff. And you limit travel. You don't have to fly, although we do fly charter air flights. But, you know, you go into cities, um, you got hotel workers, you got rooms that get cleaned by hotel work. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts in that, but. At the end of the day, I think it was, I mean, it was the owner's decision to make us go to our home ballparks and fly, which the reason why I think they did that, because now there's rumors that some owners are saying that they want fans in the stands, which um, kind of baffled us because the, the main bargaining thing was there's no fans in the stands and now we agreed to a deal. Now they're going to put fans in the stands, which kind of explains the reason why they want us to be in our home ballparks is because of that reason. So uh, it is what it is, and, um, you know, obviously the bubble idea was good, and a lot of teams, I mean, a lot of leagues are adopting that thing. I think we're the only league that's not playing in a bubble, besides maybe soccer, but um, it is what it is, and, and we'll just have to go for it and, and see how this works out. All right, well, let's get to the structure of the season now. 60-game regular season. Uh, the Nationals last year through 50 games were 12 games below 500. And yet you guys were able to turn that into a World Series championship season. Uh, this is going to be quite the test for who can just sprint out the gates as quickly as possible. How do you approach something like this? Definitely don't start 19 and 31 again. <laughs> That's probably the best approach. I think that was kind of our running joke we had on our group text was, okay, boys, 60 games. We start 19 and 31. We're out this time. <laughs> um, that makes it a little bit tricky, you know. The part of the game that for, for baseball players is 162-game season is really what it takes to, you know, you can start off good, 
but then you it's how you finish as well. You know, it's the long season which makes the season so special. When you're doing 60 games, it's as a player standpoint, you're going to get a lot of teams that start off good that maybe wouldn't be able to endure a full season, and they're going to get into the playoffs, which as a fan standpoint, it's really cool because you get to see maybe some teams that you don't expect to see into the playoffs and, and whatnot. But um, I think it's going to be interesting, man. It's, it's going to be, like you said, who was working out in this time off? Who's able to come off hot? And let's be honest, you know, you can go through stretches of 30, 40 games where you're cold and then you get hot the rest of the year. But in this case, you got no room for error, man. You got to come out guns blazing and, and go for it from the get-go. And it becomes a bit of a rest versus rust debate as well. I mean, the long layoff. How were you keeping yourself in shape? What have you been doing? What have you had access to that has allowed you to prepare here for this upcoming season? Yeah, I've been working out at my garage, um, hitting and throwing into a net off a tee, uh, working. I have a good I have a good setup here, lifting-wise for strength and conditioning, but um, – Shoot, it, it, it gets tough, you know. I mean, I'm here. I don't even know if the season's going on. I'm killing myself every single day trying to stay in shape, stay ready. And in my mind, I'm thinking, we better start this season because I'm not doing all this stuff for nothing. I'm at, I'm at that age right now. That's the age I'm at right now. It's like, I better not be doing this for nothing. I better get something out of this. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. You got to get creative. You got to find ways to stay sharp. Um you know, and I think for a lot of us, we've been doing this for long enough where we get a few weeks, we might not be as conditioned as we would be, but I think the timing and all that kind of stuff is it'll, it'll pick up like the old saying is like riding a bike. And I think that is true to some point, but you just want to stay healthy. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, you mentioned you've been at this for a while and, and you had basically the shortest off season you could have, right? I mean, you, you went to the final day of the season in the World Series, and then your pitches and catchers got a report early on. Has it, has it been a little refreshing uh, for the body that's, you know, 14 years in to, to get a little added time off? Even though you said you've been working pretty hard, it sounds like, in the garage. Yeah, it, it's nice. I mean, though it's nice. I've never had um, a Father's Day at home, that's for sure. I've never experienced a summertime at home, um, that's for sure. So – a lot of cool things where now I can, I can see how retired life's going to be. Right. And I'm like, okay, this is how it is. You know, retired life this is going to be. So, I mean, it was cool, but um, having that extra rest really did help. Cause I felt like I was really cramming everything in to like one spring training to get ready because we had such a short off season uh, and all that stuff. So to be able to maybe step back, take a breath, reset and really get, your strength and conditioning going, get your body ready to go. Although it's just 60 games, it's more of a sprint. Um, your body feels better. And, and hey, you know, not that much wear and tear in your body, may, maybe for next year, you know, who knows what, what it's going to call for me. My body might feel better next year too. So we'll see how, what happens. Yeah, has that uh, maybe peak into the future made retirement seem more or less appealing after this time with, uh, you know, everybody stuck together? You know, I I'm not saying this because my family's around right now. I'm, I'm hiding <laughs> in the office, but, you know, it's, it's more appealing now. You know, I mean, being able to be with my kids at will whenever I want to, hand them off to the grandparents at will, uh, to just spend time with them and put them to bed, you know, feed them breakfast and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
was actually kind of cool, you know, getting to a routine again and seeing like, hey, I, I could do this, you know, this is cool, but it's not that time yet. But when that time comes, you know, I feel like experiencing these three months is a good peek into what it's going to be like. And I, I'm okay with it for sure. Is there also though, and maybe you can speak more softly just in case they're, they're listening at the door or something. Uh, is there also a, a part of you that's sort of relieved to go and play some baseball and, and kind of get out of the house? Oh man, I, I'd be lying if I said it. there's some days I want to throw them outside and lock the doors. <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to do that. But, um, you know, it comes to the territory, you know, it, it's, you're, you're cooped up so long and, and all that kind of stuff. The kids want to play and, and, you know, they play, but, you know, they want to play more than they usually do with their friends. And sometimes they get crazy. And there's sometimes I just want to lock them out of the house and, you know, do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy. They're happy that I'm, I'm going to because they, they want to watch me play and, and things like that. So it's cool. Yeah, well, you got a wonderful family for sure that is documented. And so definitely give them uh, our best for sure. Uh, you mentioned the word crazy. Uh, and at least in a situation like this, it affords Major League Baseball to try a few different things and some rules that maybe previously people would think was absolutely crazy. Uh, they're going to implement a rule where in extra innings, there will be a runner on second base to start the inning. Uh, you have the DH now in the National League. What is your reaction to, to some of those rules that are going to be in play here for this shortened season? Um, you know, like, like I said, they, they try things out. Uh, personally, I'm not a fan of the DH in both leagues. I think it's a cool, cool mix where you have pitchers hit in one league and DH in another league. And then when you play in the World Series, you know, the pitcher gets to hit. And then, you know, the other pitcher doesn't have to worry about hitting when they go to American League game. I think that's a cool part of the game. And I think that part of the game is, is really neat. And it's been like that for a long time now. Um, the runner on second base um, thing, I could take it or leave it. Honestly, probably when I'm playing in the games and it's the 13th inning, I'm going to be happy that there's a player, you know, at second base because I'm like, okay, we're either going to win or we're going to lose right now. Like, it's not the old saying we always say in the dugouts is when we get we're tied at the ninth inning, we're like, we don't get paid for overtime, boys. We got to get this done now. So I think in that aspect, it would be pretty cool to see um, a runner start at second to get the game over with quicker, but. You know, we'll see. I mean, it's a lot of give. There's a lot of rules that they want to do right now. And, and personally, I'm against a lot of them because I think it takes away from the integrity of the way baseball has been played. And I'm an old school guy. Um, and I've, you know, grown up playing this game how it is. So to see kind of the changes that they want to implement that aren't really out there to the public now, uh, is, it's kind of getting carried away, in my opinion. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting experiment. Uh, what do you make of, uh, of the makeup of your team? I mean, you got a lot of the key pieces back, especially in the rotation, but uh, some, some pretty recognizable names that uh, join this squad. Um, what, what do you make of uh, the, the outlook for this team in this shortened season with all these quirky rules and the fact that you get an extra bat in the lineup and all of that? You know, I think it's going to be good. You know, I'm pretty pumped about about our team and you know in spring training we were ready to break camp when this whole thing shut down and and we were super pumped about where we were as a team as a club obviously losing Rendon was a huge blow to us but we felt like we could make up pieces you know you're, you're not going to replace a guy like Rendon you know it's it's how are you going to weather the storm of losing the numbers and the productivity the leadership and all that kind of stuff 
And we felt like we were going to be able to weather the storm. Our pitching, our starting pitching was obviously going to be our strength. Uh, our bullpen got better. We, we added a couple bullpen pieces. We got a lot of more um, repetitions for the guys that are younger in the bullpen so they can carry a bigger load maybe. And the position players, a lot of veteran guys, obviously aren't at the peak of their careers, but in a certain situations, if you split it up right, can produce. And I think that the mix that we had um, was going to be top-notch. And, and we'll see this year, you know, a 60-game sprint, anything can happen. And, and we like our chances as, as, as anybody else. I think everybody's kind of on the same playing field now. Is, is, it's a sprint now. It's a sprint to the finish line. Everybody's starting the same. It's like, you know, you go into the All-Star break, everybody's tied. And now he's whoever can finish this this thing right is is going to be the winner. Yeah, how, how valuable is the familiarity you have, and and even Jan Gomes has with Scherzer and Strasburg and a lot of those key rotation guys, and even some of the guys coming out of the pen. How valuable is that uh, in a time like this, where where you're not going to have um, you know the the usual run up to a season? It's the leaps and bounds. I think having that year under our belt, especially how far we went and, you know, accomplishing what we accomplished, I think this year is going to be even more fun. And at the same time, it's not just calling a game, running the pitching staff. It's, it's you, you know these guys on a personal level even more now. You know when to push. You know when to pull back. Um, you know what you can say. You know what triggers these guys to, to, to maybe pick it up a little bit. And I think that that aspect is going to be huge because – um, you know, a lot of people don't see it, but guys that have played the game and understand the game know that, you know, there's some ticks that is not about physical stuff. It's about mental things that you can, you can push and pull. And I think that part is going to be huge for us. Uh, me and Jan back there knowing these guys, um, for another year. Is there going to be a 2020 version of baby shark? as it pertains to the Washington Nationals? Or do you, do you try to recycle that here for this upcoming season? Or, or what, what's the deal there? You know, I think we'll see what comes up. Um, I'm not sure what comes up, but that's kind of like on a whim thing, what happens. I mean, as you know, in sports, a lot of things happen throughout the, the, the year and in the dugout and things happen and things like that. But we'll see what comes up. Uh, we were just talking about that actually in spring training. It was like, man, what are we going to do now? No baby shark. They're like, okay, we can't force anything. We just got to let things happen. And somebody will do something not very smart enough that we'll pick up on and we'll, we'll create a model. We'll create something that, that can carry us this year. Yeah, I guess if you would use the shark again, it would be grown-up shark by now, I would imagine, right, for, for 2000. Other shark, something. <laughs> um, you know, Jordan mentioned this is going to be the 14th season in which you participate in Major League Baseball. Uh, and, you know, we ask you about this all the time, but when you get to a certain stage in your career, it affords you a chance to, to kind of reflect, and especially with this long of an offseason. I mean, ESPN has even been holding fan votes going position by position to put together the all-time college baseball team and lineup, and you're uh, one of the catchers that was on the ballot for that position. Um, when you think about that kind of stuff, and you think about the impact that you have made and the numbers that you have accumulated, um, what comes to mind? What, what strikes you about that? I think I can say, you know, I'm proud of my accomplishments. And I, I say that humbly in the, in the aspect of growing up in Maui, uh, a little state in Hawaii, 
not a lot of exposure, especially back then, not a lot of exposure, um, still not a lot of exposure, but not a lot of exposure um, to be able to walk on to a program in California where I'm away from home, I'm alone, and to be able to, to accomplish what I've accomplished and call it win the World Series, get drafted, um, you know, play for as long as I have, win a World Series now. I think I'm proud of my accomplishments and that, that aspect of where I, I came from. You know, I think um, it wasn't an easy road ever. You know, I f- and I still feel to this day, you know, my wife, you know, Renee says it to me all the time. Like, she feels like I always have to prove myself every single year that I can still play. Whereas it might not be that case for another person or another player where, you know, they just get, oh, it's a down year where she feels like I always have to prove myself every single year to, to people that I can still play or that I'm good enough to play. And I think that to be able to do as long as I have um, coming from Hawaii was, was something that I'm very prideful. I, I'm very proud to be, you know, a Hawaii boy born and raised in Hawaii doing what I have to be able to represent the state because I think people don't understand how, how family oriented Hawaii is. Everybody thinks all surfing, hula, you know, grass shacks and all this kind of stuff. But there's a sense of pride coming from Hawaii that, that you, when you're able to represent your state, I think like Hawaii where everybody's so close and everybody knows each other. uh, It's, it's a cool feeling, man. And like, like to this day, like in the draft, you know, I was so upset that the draft was only five rounds because this year was probably going to be the best draft that Hawaii's ever had in the history of the draft. And, and it's still disappointing to see. And, you know, luckily um, that player from Waikia. Rosario. Yeah. Rosario kid from the, you know, with the twins and like what the third to the last pick of the draft. And this kid's, this kid's a stud, you know, and I'm saying, how are these, this kid not getting drafted higher than this, you know, is probably because of his exposure. They probably see him one time and they have one report on him where all these other kids, they have 10 and they're like, Oh, we're not going to take a chance on him. We only see him once where we can take the chance on this guy. We've seen 10 times. And I always say that's not fair. And I'm trying to stick up for the players in Hawaii because I know how difficult it is to, to get exposure in Hawaii. And I, and I, I, I want to see fairness to these kids because these kids are studs and you guys see them um, more than these other scouts that see them and, and you guys know how good they are. And, you know, and personally, I want to see more kids, you know, like me and Colton and Victorino and, and all these, Brandon League and all these guys that get to the big leagues. In Hawaii, we feel like we have that talent, but we don't have the, the exposure. And I think that you know, I want to see Hawaii develop into one of the powerhouse states because I think it can with the players. And I, I go back and I see these kids and I watch them play and they're like stunts. But um, unfortunately, there's not enough exposure. And, and I want to see Hawaii kids be able to get that opportunity to go play D1, to get drafted and to become professional athletes. I think it's cool. Yeah, it really does. And it kind of sounds like you uh, you keep up with some of the – the Hawaii prospects, uh, you know, I mean, it may be a little less busy this year, but uh, you're a busy guy most months of the year, but uh, you got a pretty good uh, finger on the pulse of uh, the Hawaii uh, baseball scene. Oh, yeah. I, I asked my, you know, my best friends, you know, Kimwen Tyson in Higa, and I say, who's the studs this year, you know, like who's, and they say, oh, this kid, this kid. So I keep track. I mean, it gives me, you know, I talk smack to those guys up there too, like, this guy's from Hawaii would dominate your boys. So like the Little League World Series, right? <laughs> 
I mean, the the team from Wailuku, and I said, this mm-hmm. is this is not Hawaii. I said, this is Wailuku, bro. I said, this is my hometown. I said, these this is this is what we're producing here. I said, it's it's more prideful, you know. I, I'm really proud to see kids kids go out there and and show the country what they can do because nobody thinks of Hawaii as you know football probably you know because there's a lot of um, good football players that go out there but nobody really thinks of Hawaii as a baseball state and I think that it's a shame because there's a lot of good baseball players that come from Hawaii and I try to tell that to people they just laugh but you know I really do I get passionate about it because you know I really think that there's a lot of talent out there yeah I I think anybody who's seen you play it's kind of evident right you still carry that uh kind of the chip on the shoulder that you were talking about um, after, after winning the world series, uh, did you, did you find that chip a, a little less heavy or is it kind of just once you press reset for the next season, that, that fire is still just as strong and, and that desire to, to prove people wrong and, and showcase the, you know, the, the boy from the little Island in the middle of the Pacific ocean that can keep going. Yeah. You know, I think that the chip goes away when you get the trophy and, and you, you know, you celebrate the world series, you reach that pinnacle in your career, but you know, there's something that nobody's ever going to be able to take away from you. So you kind of, you know, you take that and you embrace it. But at the same time, when it's a new year, you're turning over a new leaf. Nobody remembers what you did the year before. Everybody remembers what you did now. I mean, as you guys know better, baseball is a what have you done for me lately kind of sport. And you got to move on and you got to try to improve on, you know, what you could improve on because there's always ways to improve and there's always ways to get better. And I think, that the chip is always on my shoulder because there's always people that are going to say, oh, this kid's old, um, he's slowing down, he's not as strong, and, and this and that. And I think that just kind of lights a fire under me, um, you know, because I was told that, you know, growing up when I wanted to go to college, everybody said I was crazy. They are like, what are you doing? You know, you're not going to play. You know, you should stay home and, and this and that. And um, when people challenge me like that, I love it because I feel like, if I can tell them I told you so, if somebody told me I told you so, that drives me crazy. So when I'm able to tell people I told you so, that makes me feel so much better because I know people doubted me. But then when they see me on top and it's like, I don't even care if they say it's a fluke because, hey, you know, whatever you want to say, I don't care because I'm on top. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, 14 seasons doesn't feel like a fluke. I just, yeah, you know, an all-star <laughs> appearance, all that, like, that doesn't feel like a fluke. And you don't have to name any names, but have you come across any of those naysayers over time and just kind of giving them a look like, how you like me now? Oh, man, it, it happened. And it was, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, <laughs> I've come up with a lot of them. And, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm from Hawaii and, and, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, because I'm, I mean, I'm the first one to say, I talk smack to all these guys about, you need to get over to Hawaii and watch those players. I said, you want to see real baseball? I said, go to Hawaii and you can watch some real baseball. I mean, I bring it up on myself, which I don't care because I, I support those Hawaii kids and I will back those guys up, you know, to the day I'm done playing. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's nice. You know, I still recall the story, um, not to take up too much time to keep the long story short. When I was younger growing up, I wanted to go to area codes, right? And that was like the thing, the only thing was area codes. And one of these scouts in Hawaii was trying to push me on a team in Southern California. And was like, hey, you should come check out this Suzuki kid. You know, he can, I think he can be good for you guys. He can catch. And they're like, oh, no, we're full. And he's like telling them, I'm telling you, can you please just, you know, maybe open up an extra spot? They're like, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. 
And now I wish I could see who that scout talked to because I'd just be like, hey, what's up, man? I was like, you know, just, just want to introduce myself. But, you know, all that being said, that's all in fun. You know, I don't want to be that kid that, you know, brags and all that stuff. But like you said, it's nice to see those guys that, that kind of doubt you and you come to where you've come and you can kind of look back and say, I told you so. No, that's part of, you hear that, that fire from professional athletes all the time, right? It is that competitive drive uh, that really feeds into what they're able to accomplish. And it obviously sounds like uh, you have that in droves. Last question, uh, have you developed any new skills during the COVID pandemic uh, at home, whether it's cooking, learning to play the guitar, or piano, like what, have you, have you developed any new skills here? Uh, I think um, patience might be a good <laughs> skill that I've picked up. Um, the amount of times I had to pick up toys off the ground uh, and being patient and not losing my mind. Um, I think that was a skill that I picked up. I mean, I'm not going to say all the way up because there's times where I just grabbed the trash bag and whatever was on the floor, I just threw it in there and took it out to the trash. But uh, no, I mean, uh, I love cooking. Um, you know, I love to cook and to be able to cook every night, you know, for the kids is, is a cool thing. And um you know, it's, it's something that I love to do. I grew up doing my parents cook all the time and I used to be in the kitchen with them cooking and, and things like that. So I love to cook. I love it. All right. Well, then I lied. That begs the one last question, the, the go-to Kurt Suzuki dish. What is it? Oh, so my, my big thing, I love cooking like on the barbecue, um, you know, and so I love to do like steaks. I do steaks, show you chicken. And then I throw some um, Chinese eggplant and wrap it in foil like how my dad did. I put it in the back with the steak and the shoyu chicken's done. Take it out, cut it in half, throw some shoyu on top of rice. That one is probably my favorite meal that I could eat that every day. I really could. That sounds winning. That's and the for shoyu sure. And the chicken and then the nasubi. Oh, I could crush that all day long. <laughs> well, that sounds awesome for sure. Uh, Kurt. Thank you, man. We appreciate the time and best of luck here this upcoming season in defending your World Series crown. All right. Thanks, guys, for having me. Good to talk to you guys. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have our uh, post-game best and worst. For our listeners on the Valley Isle, the Maui Flag Football League is on this summer starting as early as July 1st. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends, while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, Jordan, time for our postgame best and worst. Uh, give me your best here for this episode of the podcast. Yeah, my, my best. Uh, I saw this the other day, the official announcement, uh, Manscaped, the uh, self-grooming company. I think a lot of people have seen it. They've been, uh, you know, uh, I think a sponsor partner with the UFC and all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, companies will find a way to sponsor anything. Uh, and they are now officially the below-the-waist trimming partner. That's right, the below-the-waist trimming partner of the San Francisco 49ers. 
Uh, and I just found that hilarious because I didn't know you could sponsor below the waist trimming. Uh, maybe I would have gotten on that or something, you know, and uh, Manscaped is not an official partner of this podcast, but they can be. Just give us a call. Um, but uh, so some some free pub for them. But I thought it was hilarious. It's like, who's the official above the waist trimming partner of San Francisco? I don't know. I, 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 I'm trying to find out. We got to give a, we got to give a call to John Lynch or something. Uh, I'm going to stick with football as well for my best. Uh, former UH kicker Jason Elam on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame class of 2021. Uh, this dude was so unbelievable. You, 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 maybe the younger generation uh, didn't have the opportunity to learn about him, but he was a first-team All-American. Uh, UH's all-time career scoring leader still. Uh, holds the UH record for most field goals and longest field goal. Uh, part of the 92 Holiday Bowl champion team. He represented one of the great eras and teams in UH history. And you could argue that he is good enough to be considered for the Pro Football Hall of Fame if they were ever more inclined to put kickers or pure kickers into the hall. Uh, the guy was just amazing. And so uh, really happy to see him on the ballot. And hopefully he gets in. Yeah, what are there? They're only like there's less than a handful of kickers in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is kind of a shame when you think about their their contribution and just how many points they're responsible for. Uh, Jason Elam's the the goat man when it comes to to kicking here and and one of the best collegiately. I'm I'm with you, man. I, I hope he gets the college call at the very least. All right, worst. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst. Um, uh, I guess a little more serious uh, than my flippant best. Uh, but Connie May gets my worst. <laughs> For this episode, uh, she, she, I believe, is the uh, general manager of the Scrapyard Fast Pitch Pro Softball Team. So this is the main pro softball circuit in the United States. I mean, we're talking Olympians and All-Americans uh, as part of this league. And they had just returned to play in Florida. Uh, and in game one of their series against the USSSA Pride, uh, one of the other teams in the, uh, in the league, um, the team stood for the national anthem along the first baseline. I mean, I think, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary, their personal choice, especially in this time when we're talking about the anthem and flag or whatnot. Um, but then the general manager, Connie May, took a photo of the team standing along the first baseline and tweeted it out mid-game and tagged the president of the United States and said, hey, look, we've got pro fast pitch back playing in Florida and everyone is standing and respecting the flag and flag in all caps and and an exclamation point and all kinds of things. So it's like, oh, okay. You know, and, and the problem was she didn't ask any of the players. She didn't tell any of the players. And they all returned after the game, checked their phones in the clubhouse, and their phones were blowing up because the tweet had uh, kind of gone semi-viral. Uh, and a lot of them were pretty offended. And you can understand why. And I think, hey, even if they were kneeling and the team decided to put out a photo without even getting clearance from the team, uh, I think you could understand uh, up, upset nature there even. Uh, you know, forget the, the political stance on all of this. Like, they just tweeted out a photo with a political connotation to it without checking with a single player. Uh, and so the team met for an hour after the game, and before game two of the series said, we're done. Nobody's playing for this team again. So the entire team just walked all 18 players, uh, and I tip my cap to them, and uh, Connie May's got some splaining to do. Uh, as they say, yeah, it's like, what are you doing? Maybe check with your players first. Maybe some of them felt strongly about standing for the, I don't know, but they weren't asked. Uh, so yeah, probably not the way to go if you're a general manager of a team. All right, my worst is uh, the Wailea Blue Golf Course here on the island of Maui. Uh, it is set to close indefinitely on July 6th. 
Uh, that is a golf course that is near and dear to you and your family. Your pops uh, manages that course. But I wanted to uh, give a shout out to the Wailea Blue Golf Course because it's one of my favorites uh, on the island. Uh, it just has a good sort of down-to-earth vibe to it. That is a golf course that you see a lot of like local people playing, a lot of residents. Pour off a little more liquor here for uh, Wailea Blue. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm biased, right? I've played that course I don't know how many times since I was a little kid. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed. Hopefully things rebound. You know, it's indefinite. It's, it's not necessarily a closure for good or something like that. So, uh, yeah, for the time being, uh, anybody here locally, you got this weekend and next weekend to get out there and uh, get some rounds in. Yeah, even if temporary, the closing of Wailea Blue makes me feel very blue. All right, that's it for us. Thanks once again to Kurt Suzuki for joining us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. Jordan, talk to you again soon, my man. Sounds good, bro.